Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And uh, here on the podcast, occasionally we like to take a little breath and think about something else that's not one specific film. So today's topic is guilty pleasure movies. And specifically, Lloyd and my guilty pleasure movies. So we've gone and made a list, five each, tried to dumb down to the basic five. I mean, there's a lot of films you can think of that you want to watch over and over again. A lot of favourites. I don't know if you found this list difficult, Lloyd. Yeah, I I surprisingly struggled to define what a guilty pleasure was, and I automatically packed my list with straight-to-video movies, because I'm a fan of straight-to-video action movies, and, uh, you know, ones that no one's ever heard of. But then I realised, I think a guilty pleasure movies are universally disliked by mainstream audiences and critics, um, you know, but for some reason you absolutely loved them. So I shaved off all the cult movies, uh, most of my straight-to-video um, action movies, and I tried to think of big films that I actually love, and man, did I struggle. I actually wound up with a couple of kind of mainstream films. Um, probably some are more embarrassing than others. <laughs> but I think that, that kind of somebody might be embarrassed by it element maybe is... Um, is involved yeah um that being said i guess yeah as the list unfolds there's some that i don't think anybody will be embarrassed by what'd you shortlist it with um look there was quite a few that i dropped off the shortlist i think too obvious are films like star wars and batman fight club um more i found ones that almost made the list were musical in nature um I did really enjoy Rock of Ages, whereas not many people did. Yeah, that's universally hated. I didn't mind that film as well. Um, I mean, The Wedding Singer, uh, whenever it's on, you sort of feel like you got to watch it. I, as well, High Fidelity, which is kind of a, a breakup movie for guys, I find. Sure. <clears throat> and uh, Almost Famous, probably almost made the list. <laughs> is that an Australian film? Almost Famous is a Cameron Crowe film. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, about rock and roll rolling stone magazine philip seymour hoffman's in it as well um yeah it's like a coming of age story um yeah i had mine shortlisted with june by david lynch i think is an absolutely interesting film and i find it so irresistible uh the rock by michael bay and i've done a whole vlog on it on youtube Uh, i had showgirls of course but we'd done a a whole entire podcast on on that film a barbed wire i had and uh, i'm not going to bother explaining why and um, i'll go on lloyd (laughs) and uh the pamela anderson movie (laughs) yeah uh, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> and and uh, replacement killers uh, with Chow Yun Fat. Um, yeah, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's only a couple of those have been embarrassing. It's sort of, I, I think we can only really define this by the five films that you know you would sort of watch on your own, enjoy over and over again. Yeah, regardless of the kind of movie or whether or not anybody would um, you know make fun of you for it. Yep. So we'll begin the list, Lloyd. What we're going to do is uh, we'll say the name of the movie and uh, then start talking about it. Just in case there's spoilers involved, you'll have an opportunity to pause um, because some of these films are older, but um, you know you may, may still want to check them out. You may want to check them out after we explain them, though. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But Lloyd take it away okay uh, i've got a top five but i i could only keep it down to six a top six and the sixth one i want to start off with is a double movie because it came out during that period what me and dave grew up watching is the teen romance movies since scream we had the teen horror teen romance and teen comedy movies which just bombarded the cinemas at, at that pivotal age when dave and i were graduating um so Oh, well, when we were in high school. So I want to say it's She's All That and Can't Hardly Wait, um, both of which, you know, are, are strong guilty pleasures with me. If they're on, I just have to watch it. I, I really like those two specific movies out of all the teen um, teen movies because there's a, a sense of coming of age with those movies. They, I think they did pretty well. The comedy I really like in it, all the stereotypes, you know, the jock and the pretty girl and everything like that and yeah I, d- I just really enjoyed um those two specific teen mo- um, movies it's fascinating because like at that time in the 90s late 90s you could have a girl who was obviously attractive wear glasses and tie her hair up <laughs> and you know come down the stairs take off the glasses untie the hair and be absolutely beautiful not another teen movie parodied that so fantastically oh she's got paint on her shoes <laughs> 
And you're right, we were bombarded with those kinds of films. And it sort of shows with the amount of American Pie sequels there have been. Yes. And we're not even counting the sort of straight-to-DVD ones. We had a conversation about this on the um, American Pie reunion Yeah, that's, podcast a, that's actually you. one of my favourite podcasts we've done. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Very good. Um, yeah, so Can't Hardly Wait and She's All That. You've kind of made a sort of a tie for Fifth there, I yeah, guess. Yeah, definitely. I, I just had to mention that. Although it didn't get into the top five, the, there was no way I could do a Guilty Pleasures podcast without owning up to, you know, to those two. <laughs> well, I'm betting at some point somebody will listening to this will sort of listen to your list and kind of go oh i don't know could have taken that one out but (laughs) it's your own personal list so i won't yeah i won't get into it and i suppose it doesn't hurt that um jennifer love hewitt no of of course not and it's got she's in one of the funniest scenes of all time me and my brother always quote from it you know the scene where the jock is uh breaking up with her and she goes he goes who's gonna go out with you now man dog and she goes i don't know somebody and he goes how about nobody and then you know that's supposed to be the big punchline of his joke and no one's laughing it's fantastic (laughs) and you sort of feel like yeah everyone's gonna go out with her (laughs) because we're watching it from uh, ethan embry's point of view and he's just crazy about her so you're like well he's gonna go out with her i like the implication that the cousin is really into her as well she's like you're my cousin (laughs) was that the film as well with um i don't know if this was it but jerry o'connell and his brother were in Oh, I think so. There was there's so many stars in that movie when they're really they, young. They were playing a couple of frat boys who hang upside down, but I don't know if it's that movie or something oh, else. I can't remember. It's all like a blur, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, honestly, can't hardly wait. I haven't seen it in a few years. So, yeah. But um, I can I can understand the appeal, especially... With, and did uh, you like She's All That? Um, I'm struggling to remember... Freddie, Freddie Prince, Prince Jr. Jr. and Paul Walker... And Freddie Prince Jr. makes a, a bet with Paul Walker um, that they can get any girl and turn her into the prom queen just because they're like the, the big stars of the school. And it, it's so aware of its comedy. Like Freddie Prince Jr. is the best looking guy of the school and just how he enters the room and how he's shot and how everyone reacts to him. It's really fantastic. But he's actually a really nice guy. He's not just the full bully. You know, like he's nice to nerdy people. He's, you know, and, and all the rest of it. It's really good. Honestly, I'm not sure I've seen all of that film. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I, I don't... I have seen the poster. It's got her in the middle and them both standing outside yes, of her. Yes, that's right. Um, and I, I remember the era of films, but that doesn't ring a bell at all. So, <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. Um, Freddie Prince Jr. has not been doing much lately, has he? No, no. I, I thought he was one of the most promising stars, but um, definitely Paul Walker... Um, was the big star out of that one yeah um and i'm sure we'll talk more about him when fast and the furious 7 comes out definitely in a year or two um all right so my first one it's so interesting that you mentioned quotable because i found the things on my list often had things i love to quote in them um and this first one is probably one of the more embarrassing i'm afraid (laughs) first off um i thought i would just do a quick honorable mention because between these two films I did I did have to choose. Uh, they're sort of similar to me. I chose Con Air, but the film I didn't choose was Armageddon. So, for me, Armageddon is like a guy movie, guilty pleasure movie, I'm sure. And um, great the reason choice. I think... <laughs> your, your, sorry, your choice? Uh, no, great choice with Armageddon. <laughs> well, I didn't choose Armageddon. I chose no, Con no, Air. I'm saying, yeah, yeah. The, the, the reason I didn't choose Armageddon is I love the beginning where they're all recruited and uh, on the oil rig and they've all got demands they don't want to pay taxes and that sort of thing the mission stuff with all the action is actually what I find boring about yeah. it and then the ending where they draw straws to see who stays where Harry goes down with uh, Ben Affleck and he goes you got a new job now kid Looking, taking care of my little girl and then <laughs> you know pulls his air uh, and puts him back in the ship sort of thing um, and then what's it called he goes uh, when you see Truman you give him this for me and he rips off his patch because Billy Bob Thornton's character had never been to space and then he's like uh, the emotional cheesy scene with uh, Affleck how Affleck is like I love you Harry and he's like I always considered you like a son it's hilarious what about the fantastic soundtrack that accompanied that as well (laughs) swelling music as well music really featured on this list for me I think Mm -hmm. music really played a part in how I emotionally reacted to some of these moments but when Harry's doesn't know how to fail, he blows him up. Oh, they have the phone call, of course, with Liv Tyler. And then right at the end, when they all land, 
um, and they run in slow motion and Liv Tyler kisses Ben Affleck and there's that scene where William Fitchner says permission to shake the hand of the daughter of the bravest man I've ever met <laughs> <laughs> and something about that I love so much but the reason That's I fantastic. <laughs> the reason I couldn't choose it above um, Con Air is because as a film I only enjoy parts of Armageddon I see whereas Con Air is cheesy fun from start to finish <laughs> What is Cameron Poe doing in prison? Could have happened to anybody. You know, he beat up some thugs protecting his woman, his pregnant wife. You know, could have happened to anybody. Yeah, anybody could have just done that. Um, he winds up in prison doing, like, upside-down push-ups, you know, in completely flipped kind of handstand position. Yep. Grows his hair long. He's going to see his daughter on July 14th. It's so quotable, this film. I love how the circumstance of putting all the criminals onto a plane, it's hilarious. But I think as well... The film triggers for me the first time I ever snuck into an MA film before I was 15. Oh, So, wow. this is like a, a key moment for me in my life kind of thing um, where somebody knew the security guard who worked at the cinema and we took up pieces of paper. We took up business cards that we found and uh, he tore them for the security cameras and we were able to kind of go into this film. We were 14 and see this MA film and... We didn't pay for it, obviously, as well. So it was this big thrill of, you know, I guess doing the wrong thing as well. Yeah. So combine that with, um, you know, going with a bunch of guys, seeing this action film that we weren't supposed to see, it's kind of solidified a place in my mind. So, um, you know, whenever, I don't know, Steve Machine, everyone in that film is hilarious and everybody in that film is now a big star. I was going to say, yeah, all the... Um all the villains and all the heroes were all really well cast and they're all memorable faces it's really uh, a beautiful looking action movie definitely and I love how and don't get me wrong I find it hilarious and cheesy and fun but I love how unbreakable uh, Cameron Poe Nicolas Cage's character is how he runs through and walks through explosions and <laughs> how uh, you know he's got that stupid accent that's so hard to pull off <laughs> Why didn't you put the bonnet back in the box and just... Um, John Malkovich, fantastic as well. Exactly. And Monica Potter at the end playing um, the mother of his child. He meets his daughter. I have a daughter now, so maybe I'll react to this even bigger the next time I see it. But uh, where he goes, I got a present for you and, you know, got kind of dirty and stuff. And he's, he's such a kind of simpleton, but he's so well-meaning in so many yeah. ways. And uh, as well, I mean, I like John Cusack as the the kind of the cop who you know, becomes a man that he can trust through the course of the movie. Cheesy fun. I'm not going to dwell on it. Probably everyone listening to this has seen Con Air. If you haven't, <laughs> it's a big dumb action movie by Michael <laughs> Bay. And, you know, Michael Bay makes these big dumb action movies, but you're going to find one you like eventually. Yeah. Like mine's The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll uh, I'll pass it over to you for the next one. Lloyd. Well, my, to- my fifth one in my top five is uh, the... F- uh, is Man in the Iron Mask. Now, this movie was a huge box office success, largely because Leonardo DiCaprio, and the movie is largely regarded to be a dumb action movie. It's a poor adaptation to the novel. It's really watered down. And I actually think this is an extremely well-made action movie with a superb cast. Some of uh, my favorite actors of all time are all together in one movie, uh, sharing scenes, uh, particularly John Malkovich, who is excellent, and Jeremy Irons. And I love the choreography of all the action as well. There's one scene where John Malkovich picks up the sword, like he's got two swords, and everyone's charging at him. And there's that moment he just gets ready. It just oh, it gets me every time. Um, and, and this film, if it's on TV, I have to watch it. I, I think it's really amazing, and uh, it's spectacular for all ages. I'm just really disappointed when I was looking this up. Well, a lot of people just really disliked it. I was like, oh, I, I didn't even know that. You know, I didn't know what this was a largely disliked film because I, I thought it was a, one of the best action movies I'd ever seen. Well, it's a guilty pleasure for you. Yeah. <laughs> one of the iconic moments I remember from that film is when the mask comes off and you see all the hair and everything stuck to Leonardo DiCaprio's face. Yeah. I think that's the image I most remember from that movie. Very well done, because it wouldn't be a handsome face under that mask. It would be all be built up with all kinds of things if he's never been able to take it off, and they sort of got that right in that movie. And until they dress him up, you see, oh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, it's a <laughs> it's the twin king. Yeah. yeah. 
do you enjoy also like you know musketeer type films because it sort of was a musketeer yeah kind of- I, I never liked the three musketeers uh when i saw it when i was young i heard the book is phenomenal but uh it's a classic been handed been adapted over and over again but i never liked the movie when when i was young I, and i only saw this because i had a really good english teacher in high school who showed us really cool movies that's how i got introduced to the princess bride and this is one of the movies he showed and i thought oh one of these boring period piece movies you know and i was so blown away like ju- just the casting of it gabriel byrne john malkovich jeremy irons uh dara if i'm pronouncing that correctly um yep. they're all in it and uh, i thought leonardo dicaprio did a great job of playing a really nice guy and a really evil king uh he had a great duality there yeah i can appreciate when um characters play twins and um, yeah have to yeah it's take this, on those yeah it's a great role <laughs> i'll um i'll jump to my yep. next one which um again when it's on tv i feel like i have to watch it i quote this all the time to my wife and uh I, I had her watch it the other year and i think she really enjoyed it too so that was lucky it's uh dragon the bruce lee story oh which, right um yeah uh i wouldn't have thought like kung fu movies would be my thing i've seen a handful um mostly sort of fascinated with bruce lee and his story but i think that that comes from this uh maybe when people die too young and you wonder how the rest of their life would be you know heath ledger kind of falls into that james dean um, yeah i've actually seen a couple of james james dean movies and this topic i guess kind of fascinates me as well when people are taken too soon and um so with the bruce lee story i mean it's the other thing that gets me and this it's that kind of cool runnings effect where they overcome adversity and uh they carry their sled at the end of cool runnings spoilers for cool runnings um but in dragon the bruce lee story obviously he loses the ability to walk they said i never walk again too is a famous line they always play on the tv spots whenever it's um you know a sunday movie or whatever learning to walk again is obviously something insane that none of us want to experience but people do people are able to walk again after spinal injuries and he, he gets hit in the back um during a kung fu bout and is unable to walk and yeah basically you think it's going to destroy him but it's halfway through the film so his uh his woman his wife sticks with him he learns to walk again he becomes empowered he has he has a child um yeah it's this kind of great adversity overcome and i really like that and um to sort of see him go on and he becomes a bit of a movie star in the film and as we know so did bruce lee and getting the kind of uh kung fu sequences where there's mirrors there's smoke uh he's overcoming this uh what is it like a childhood kind of it's hard to explain but um curse of his family yep. i guess is maybe the best way to say it you've seen the film uh, yeah uh, my favorite scene in the movie is when he's shooting this movie and a guy comes up saying you killed my brother or hurt my brother and he studied everything from bruce lee's book and he's like a really good fighter now and they have this massive yep. fight which he, which he ends up losing and bruce lee um rips off the film he doesn't want anyone to see it um you know that that fight he goes to the camera and and rips out all the film saying no i didn't i don't want this film this guy came back for revenge or whatever and it was really cool yeah it was um there's a sense of him being noble and stuff yeah that I, I always quote that i could always use a good dishwasher um you know when he's a dish pig washing dishes for the restaurant uh, at the beginning of the film there's there's a lot of little quotes like along the sort of course of the film that i, I really enjoyed so dragging the bruce lee story features in my list but you've got an action film as well <laughs> yeah uh, kung fu movie as well or uh, martial arts movie uh it's mortal Kombat, and sadly probably the best video game adaptation at the moment i'm pretty sure i'm blinded by nostalgia glasses here but i like i think so i mean <laughs> let's be honest street fighter is pretty bad oh yeah but street fighter the animated movie is one of the best animated movies of all time it's a great movie but street fighter the movie oh man what a garbage with van damme oh terrible van damme's speech it is a guilty pleasure speech of mine where he says <laughs> well i'm not going home I'm going to get in my boat, and I'm going to go up river, and I'm going to kick that son of a bitch bison's ass so hard. 
that the next bison wannabe is going to feel it. Oh, and he's man. like, who wants to go home and who wants to come with me? And everyone cheers. <laughs> Hilarious. I saw that when I was 13 and loved that movie. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the, the live action movie, sorry. I hate to say it. but You probably saw it at the right yeah, age. Yeah, but I, I saw it like a few years later and I remember hating it. Like I couldn't wait to get it on VHS, you know. And it, it was just terrible. <laughs> I was like, why, why is Zangief weird? <laughs> um, so why so why does Mortal Kombat feature oh, that? Oh, just everything about it, I guess. I, sadly, I, I still think it's the best video game adaptation. That's how bad like Need for Speed and Tomb Raider movies have been. Uh, I think Christopher Lambert, who plays Raider, I think he's really cool. Like, he's so wrongly cast. I think it's supposed to be a wise old Asian person to play Raider. They got Christopher yeah. Lambert. Um, I just love his voice. He's just a really interesting choice, and his delivery of lines is great. I like the villains, particularly Kano. I think he's really cool with his robot eye and his English accent, and he's got this vendetta with um, Sonya Blade, and there's so much backstory that's implicit but the film doesn't even bother to go into it which is interesting in itself but very unfortunate because I wanted to see more of that and it's a decent martial arts action movie with great fights with Sub-Zero and Scorpion and Reptile which were cool and to top it off the music was fantastic still to this day I hear Mortal Kombat music the techno dance music mixed into a lot of DJ songs at, at, at nightclubs and things so to this day it still holds like, sort of like street fighter as well the street fighter theme they, they've always mixed into um dj music and stuff like that so it's pretty interesting so the movie is very fun and it's really bad sort of a um unfortunately it's probably the best video game movie as i said to start aside from street fighter animation and i don't want to count it i don't want to count that movie because it's animation and i also like how johnny cash overcomes the monster uh goro which is this big forearm monster that just kills all the all the other martial artists and he beats him by simply fighting dirty which is a really cool idea that the creators at least make that effort to incorporate moves from the video game which is brilliant because a lot of people take mario brothers for example and rest his soul bob hoskins and um things it was just a terrible movie because the producers of the film just ignored a lot from the video game like they just included the names really Co cooper and all that and at least mario looks like mario like you know <laughs> but yeah. i just love it in um uh mortal kombat it just feels like the director and the producers played the video games or and the writers and tried to incorporate a lot of the moves into the movie now this is a dangerous question because i'm sure mortal kombat will be one of the films people have a problem with us <laughs> liking uh, I, I haven't seen it for years and I've only seen it once but I haven't seen the sequels either do they? Oh, I've seen only those? seen one of the sequels I think it's called Combat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation and only a handful that sounds of, right. maybe a couple of the cast went over to the second one and a, oh, it, it is terrible I, I can barely remember it but I remember going out of the cinema and going oh I feel so sick <laughs> it, was, it was so bad it made me sick because Mortal Kombat, the video games, like, as they went, they had a cast of, like, ever-changing kind of roster of playable characters. Yep. So, you know, there was always kind of an opportunity to do more films. But I suppose not enough people enjoy it as their guilty pleasure film. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Just a quick mention, if you guys have your own guilty pleasure movies or things you thought should have featured on this list or disagree with us, <laughs> um, facebook.com slash podme if you can is the place to go for that. Yeah, I'd love to hear your opinion, uh, guys. <laughs> our next two films both feature Bill Murray um, and mine is Groundhog Day. I love Groundhog Day. Everybody loves Groundhog Day. I, mean, th I think it appeals to us um, becoming a better person. Mm. I think uh, there's a kind of immortality about it. There's... The idea that if you had a day where you should have done something else, different regret, you know? Like, Absolutely. Um, it's the opportunity to go through and fix things and perfect things. And uh, that movie about time that we did a podcast about a while ago, it sort of had the same kind of vibe, um, but unfortunately not as well executed, where you could kind of relive moments and fix things and alter your own kind of personal timeline. The, the difference is in Groundhog Day, he's trapped in the single day. Groundhog Day, he... Um, he can embrace or, uh, you know, reject the reality that surrounds him. I think um, I heard somewhere that it was supposed to be like a thousand years he was trapped, the, um, the writer of the film said. So imagine living a thousand years of exactly the same day and 
at a certain point, I think you would find this kind of inner peace and kind of decide to just do the best you can. And that's kind of what he does. He becomes the best possible person, you know, during the course of that, that day. Um, which is amazing to Andy McDowell, who I don't like in many films. I think she's always a bit the same. <laughs> I kind of, I'm okay with here. You're a god, but not the god. That's one of the best lines. I love when he tries to convince people that he is having this day over and over yeah. again. You know, I, I love when he learns the piano, when he becomes this eligible bachelor in this town. Yeah, that's and, fantastic. You know, by the end of the film, everyone's just winking nodding like oh that guy's amazing he changed our car tire he you know rescued that cat gust whatever, of you know. wind car goes by <laughs> that he steals yep. all the money yeah well i mean i think all of these things would you would try them all you're immortal you know what i mean like i guess you never know for a while which day will be the final day mm. you know you don't know when the day will end so it's really touching as well like when he says that speech to the girl like he's just lying on the bed and it doesn't matter like it's not like if it doesn't matter if i wake up again next time uh, i don't know he says something like that uh to the girl like he's in love with a girl and it was really beautiful really touching yeah even the sequence when um he goes on a date with her and he keeps saying the things it's like all right tomorrow i won't say that and it just sort of keeps cutting the different sequences over and over mm. again. I always had this little theory that the bartender knew what was going on. <laughs> There's this bartender and he's sort of smirking through the whole thing as if, as if kind of, let's say it's like a God or whatever, um, that's making this happen to him and, uh, giving him this, this little glimpse into, you know, immortality and kind of nods that he sort of knows the whole wow, time. Wow. I've got to watch that again and look at that. Yeah, I just uh, I think it's something about just the expressions. There's a great um, um, probably its best scene is with the old man when the old man is dying and um, you know he tries his best to save him. It's sort of like that Superman in Superman One when his father dies and no matter how powerful he thinks he is, you know, human life is fragile and it it'll die. You know, it's very touching. Which is it's more subtle in Groundhog Day than yeah. Superman, but yes, definitely. Yeah, and I mean the other one that sort of. The other film that touches on this a little bit is maybe Family Man um, with Nicolas Cage, where he gets to be like he suddenly has kids. He's getting a glimpse. Don Cheadle describes it as a glimpse um, where he's like a famous, uh, not a famous, like a rich banker. And then he gets suddenly a Christmas with the girl he never stayed with and the kids they never had. And he gets to see what might have been with his life. Yep. Both, both similar kind of themes. I guess where you kind of yeah it also incorporates a little bit of my love of time travel um and a very quotable very fun movie one of bill murray's best yeah, i mean yeah, i think best, it's I mean, one of harold ramus's best as well um god rest his soul uh one of the key ghostbusters you know <laughs> definitely well that leads us nicely into your next one <laughs> the third movie on my list is ghostbusters 2 i didn't realize how much this this was considered a bad film until i was in high school i always considered ghostbusters 1 and 2 like one movie and they were like this great great franchise again i could be blinded by nostalgia glasses here i loved ghostbusters when i was a kid and both mo movies were amazing i loved the humor and especially the characters i could sit with those characters all day some of the scenes i just love is the courtroom scene where rick moranis yells at the judge that's right my guy my guys are still under a judicial straining order the blue thing i got from her <laughs> and there are some really eerie moments in the film that scared me when i was a kid uh particularly when the ghost comes for the baby and we see this guy floating from afar with a i think he's dressed as a nanny and th this hand reaches out for the baby in the eyes it's just terrifying i also love the scene where they're developing photos in their small lab and each photo is showing something different like as they're zooming into the photos they've taken of the painting and then the door locks like by itself and then all the photos start burning 
burning up and they're just like oh my gosh and then winston just comes in and sprays everything and saves the day there's just something really eerie about that scene uh in my opinion it's uh, the only great family comedy movies other than animations that have come out since Ghostbusters have been Galaxy Quest and School of Rock, and that's it. It's pretty disappointing because I think that genre is absolutely terrific, and I want to see a lot more family comedies like that. Uh, funny, I saw Galaxy Quest um, at a, a mystery film night. Oh. Uh, on like a Friday night, they were saying, at the local cinema, they were saying um, 6.30 at night, come see a film you don't know what it is till you get in there and that kind of blind appeal worked and the cinema was absolutely full and galaxy quest was the film and obviously nobody had seen it it was an advanced screening of the film that wouldn't come out for another week and it was fantastic i it was loved galaxy quest <laughs> because i think we had zero expectations about it you don't even know what you're going to watch and the fact that it's kind of this family friendly fun yeah <laughs> you're right ghostbusters 2 does fall into that um that kind of section two the family comedies yeah, yeah. it's just um, a pity they're not making many like that um i think they're just really hard to do yeah i mean because they're either too kitty like so adults won't go watch it or the humor just goes above kids you know it's very hard to go in between um i thought as well yeah. i think that there's enough scary stuff in ghostbusters 2 mm-hmm. that it keeps a certain aged kid away but uh, i think what's best about ghostbusters is the um stuff that's iconic you know their outfits don't cross the streams you've got slimer their particular and the characters who play them i think it's just yeah just incredible just absolute magic when i see that but i think i'm blinded by nostalgia glasses like if i was to show ghostbusters to a kid i think they would find the special effects really cheap and a lot of the humor would just go over their heads and and things like that yeah because we had a lot of movies that built up around bill murray and dan Aykroyd when we were kids like caddyshack and a whole bunch of others i can't think of but um yeah and ghostbusters was really just one of those but with a lot of action you know definitely um yeah ghostbusters 2 is is you think superior to one no i I think ghostbusters one is much better than two but i love ghostbusters 2 not to put it down but a lot of people hate ghostbusters 2 okay yeah. which makes it your guilty yes, pleasure which makes it my and, guilty pleasure <laughs> and the, the point of the podcast <laughs> well my next one is the most mainstream guilty pleasure movie ever um and i think everybody loves it but i can't not put it on this list and it's back to the future oh right <laughs> i love that like movie. everybody loves this movie i mean it's hard to dislike it it's it's exactly the perfect almost perfect um time travel film um it came at a time that michael j fox was blowing up into a big movie star this it as a trilogy it works i mean i think uh, of a certain age uh, everybody in our sort of age group would have seen this so many times now and it's one of those ones where everything's quotable marty mcfly is such a quotable name even to the point where um there's a band i think called mcfly now i don't know i haven't i'm not familiar with this <laughs> stuff but the the quotes in the film i mean back to the future one for me sets up such a perfect kind of trilogy uh which look biff such a perfect villain as well i mean everything about this film i just um i just love the world it creates i suppose i love the charm how it's the 50s as well because i've always although you know there's a meme going around going oh if i only i could go back and it's a picture i think of greece but it it pretty much depicts how awesome the 50s were but you got to remember there was so much racism and uh uh, human movement um involved in uh uh, during that time period which everyone tends to forget but there was a great sense of nostalgia um in back to the future which is phenomenal having that kind of um ability to change things in your own personal timeline i think is probably what most appeals to me um i'm kind of working on a time travel story kind of trying to work it out in my head before i put pen to paper or finger to keyboard i guess (laughs) um yeah and it just appeals to me to try and contribute something to the time travel genre because uh, I think it's probably my favorite genre and not necessarily sci-fi but time travel itself. Um I also love thrillers to be honest, but time travel uh, just something about it. I always wonder if if it's invented 
will people go back and kill Hitler? Will people, uh, will it be heavily policed? Will it be something that we have already that's done in secret that changes only the most minor details of human history? Is it something that, you know, the people at Apple have worked on and they've got and they've gone to the future and they've, you know, they're developing these products, they're reverse engineering things? Yep. You know, is is technology for us going to reach a point where, uh, I don't know, what we're talking about right now and none of this ever happens, you know, does timelines seem like they can change is destiny fickle is this like um you know there's is everything raises more questions with time travel and i think it's such a fascinating topic and when they include it in television shows or anything i can't help but be intrigued yeah how many times have you seen uh, back to the future just countless it's gotta be hundreds <laughs> yeah. i mean Especially just kind of rewatching parts of it on television and the amount of times it's played on TV. I think I knew it line for line when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to test that, but <laughs> I think I'd be pretty close as well. Yeah. Um, even though the doc does so much exposition at the beginning of the film, I, I sort of forgive all of its flaws. Anything that people point out as, um, yeah, just because as well, I think Michael J. Fox is so likable, you want him to succeed. You want him to... Um, He's going to cease to exist is the stakes of the film. Yeah. He has to get his parents together, which, you know, you don't want to think about your parents getting together in any way. <laughs> and then to try and make, like, force that to happen is kind of such a fascinating thing as well. There's a dark edge to it, which this uh, person brought up in some interview I was listening to. And she was like, oh, I find it hard to watch that film. The guy's like, what? Because, you know, with the attempted rape and everything, it got really dark, you know. And I'm like, attempted rape. And there was, like, Biff really tried to rape um marty mcfly's uh mother you know in the car it's got really dark there he was a really awful awful villain exactly and the single punch that they have george mcfly punch biff and that punch changes his life and makes biff more submissive yeah, you know but somebody it's interesting if you watch the second one he isn't really that ch- changing. He still is Biff, like, after he gets knocked down and he gets into his car and everything like that. Yeah, so I found that sort of, that spell sort of got dispelled for me. <laughs> sure, but that's a lifetime of him being disappointed yeah. and stuff. And um, But for me, one of the things that emotionally connects me to this film is the soundtrack. Um, oh, yeah. I've played Mario Kart and listened to the Back to the Future score and I've thought in my mind that I'm playing better because of the fact that I'm listening to the Back to the Future soundtrack. Um, I think if you put that on the radio and people were listening to it in their cars that everybody would speed up, (laughs) maybe even just to 88 kilometres an hour in Australia just for the nostalgic reason. And you're talking about any Um, part of the movie, like even uh, The Power of Love. (laughs) True. Uh, Huey Lewis gets a cameo. It's Look, there's so many things I love about Back to the Future, but um, my guess is most people listening to this right now also love Back to the Future because there's very few who hate it. Mm. I mean, it's generally universally liked and it's a guilty pleasure movie for me because of the amount of times I've watched it and enjoyed it over and over again. It's, yeah, it's it's a pleasure to watch. My friend, um, he, his wife had never seen it, and she's like, oh, "What was that movie about?" And he tried to explain what what Back to the Fu- what happens in Back to the Future, and he's like, "Oh, that's the hardest movie to explain to someone." Oh, he's going back in time to, okay, let's just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I would, if I had to be brief, I'd say he's going back in time to uh, get his parents together so that he continues to exist. Yeah because there's a danger he'll cease to exist as he's changing the timeline but you lost me what he goes back by accident too <laughs> yeah it's it's not a, it's not a conscious choice for him to go back he's saving himself from the libyans and uh where doc brown is gunned down you know he's trying to save himself he doesn't realize he's going to go back and then he's needs help and mm. and the clock tower lightning strike sequence is you know oh it's magic amazing. absolute magic but then the perfect things that Mekis and Spielberg and that did was to, in the second one, have him go back to the same time as the first one. You relive everything you loved about the first one again. And then the third one, because it doesn't connect as well, is the one people hate. I mean, um, it's its own film. I enjoy it for what it is. It's a Western, but I love one and two so much more, um, especially because of how they intertwine. You like one and uh, two and three over one? Sorry, or... Oh, sorry. Um, 
one is my guilty pleasure movie i think two is fantastic though and i think a lot of people do but three is the lesser of the trilogy yeah Um, i think most people agree yeah i think so and i i I love two because it nods to one if they'd gone to um a completely different time i mean they would go to the future in two but everybody wants to see the future so that's crispin glover is so good in one such a pity he didn't come in two and three yeah even watching him in the background like i remember watching that movie i only watched it again recently like a few months ago and i couldn't take my eyes off crispin glover like even if he's in the background just his small gestures and his little um itches and stuff it it was incredible like absolutely incredible i love the scene where he goes up and says you're my density (laughs) i mean my destiny (laughs) yeah or i'm your destiny um yeah, he's fantastic, and and now he just makes things like Willard and. Oh yeah, he's know, an incredible talent, but obviously he's working at the beat of his own drum, sort of thing. Yeah, and I don't know. Stories maybe it'll work out for him in the end. About people from over there, you get out of here. I never knew you did anything creative. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, how would you like to go and be friends with your dad when he was your age? Yeah, be a completely different person. I imagine so. I think a lifetime changes a person. So I don't know. Maybe it makes them more mellow. Maybe you're going to see a more crazy version of your parent. But that's man. I the I tried thing. to get into skateboarding so hard because of this movie, and I got this really crappy little skateboard that my parents got. I mean, I tried so hard to learn how to skateboard. I had never got it ever. So few of us did, <laughs> and it's hard to. It's hard to um, continue that as an adult because <laughs> even if you're good at it, I mean, you're not Tony Hawk. <laughs> There's only one Tony Hawk. And then, uh, you know, adult men skating is sort of uh, a niche amount of people. You sort of, it sort of feels like something I guess you grow out of. Darth Vader came into my dreams last night, said he'll melt my brain if I don't do this. Let's keep this between you and I. <laughs> yeah. It'd be weird, too, because then Darth Vader's an actual character. Yeah, I know. Later. It's just like, oh, man, George Lucas ripped off my idea. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to your next one, Lloyd. I got Ninth Gate, and I caught this briefly on TV, and I was hooked right away. Uh, Johnny Depp plays a book collector who was sent around the world to validate the authenticity of these demonic books. Uh, it's directed by the grand director Roman Polanski and the movie flopped and not many people like it and I, I, I don't think this even has a cult following or anything but I absolutely love this movie. Sonic about the mystery and the occult and blending the two together. Uh, the only issue is the last 10 minutes. It's absolute garbage um, but I, I, I could do a fan edit of this and fix it up i'm recently getting into fan edits by the way i watched the phantom menace and i think attack of the clones like people cutting out jar jar binks and making it more darker um and things like that i find it really interesting but ninth gate for me um just had all the elements of a great great noir movie but it's just a flawed masterpiece i think a very flawed masterpiece well i'll say this lloyd yep i've never seen ninth gate with johnny depp um and i'm considering that we should maybe do that on an upcoming podcast so yeah maybe we shouldn't shouldn't say any more because <laughs> okay sure i'll i'll watch it and then we'll um we'll do an episode about it yeah definitely so the ni- the ninth gate with johnny depp yep. okay um look forward to that one in the future listeners <laughs> uh my final film and these are in no particular order so this isn't exactly my top guilty pleasure film uh is oceans 11 the remake with uh George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon. Um, The film for me was the most quotable thing I saw that year, which I think was 2001. And um, to the point where me and a good friend of mine, uh, Pete, we uh, would quote Ocean's Eleven constantly during um, our time working at the cinema and even after hours. And it would be things like, you think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. (laughs) And that... um, felt like you rushed it this speech did, did, did you put your host this and he's like a little bit it felt like i rushed it you know that that back and forth with uh brad pitt and um george clooney's characters danny ocean and rusty ryan it was um it was fantastic i think ted griffin's script is one of the wittiest things i'd i'd listened to performed it's obviously about the performance as well but the the fact that you could have this heist movie uh where you really didn't know what was going on 
uh, until the end, and how are they going to rub? What do you guys got against Terry Benedict? What? How are they going to rub this casino, or three casinos even, um, in Vegas? It was it was fascinating from start to finish, and I think if you haven't seen it, it's a great one to check out. Julia Roberts is in it. I mean, test is not split eleven ways is such a like easy quote sort of thing. I, I quote this film even to this day, and uh, just the fact that it looked slick, that it was Soderbergh. It had to tick so many boxes for me. It became... I think I mentioned this on the Soderbergh special, yeah, which was our 75th podcast. That's one podcast. of our bigger podcasts, and we worked really hard on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of watching, a lot of Soderbergh catching up and re-watching and stuff going on there. But I think I mentioned this is maybe one of my favorite Soderbergh films. Uh, I don't know if I said it was my favorite, but um, it's definitely up there if it isn't, like, the best one for me. Um just fantastic I, I enjoyed everything about oceans 11 and straight away went and watched the original oceans 11 and you know i compared them and and 12 and 13 came out i was you know first in line wow but it's not not to say i um enjoyed them as much because oceans 11 really was the guilty pleasure for me but uh, i feel like it's such a great um franchise such a great you know it can be an ongoing thing as well it's um yeah wow obviously yeah, have you seen? Yeah, Ocean's I, I 11? loved uh, Ocean's Eleven when I saw it in the cinemas. I've never seen uh, the sequels, but I, I have huge respect for Steven Sodenberg and just a it's just a great example of his variety that he could just dish out a great big Hollywood blockbuster action movie, make it witty, make it intelligent as well, and then do his own cult like little movies that are incredible character studies, you know. And I'm struggling to think of an example like Girlfriend Experience, say and. Just a, or bubble, or bubble. Sure. yeah, just a great range. Yeah, look, our our topic of Soderbergh was covered in seventy fifth episode. If people want to check that one out, that's um covers his entire career because he announced his retirement. He has still directed some TV stuff since then. I've noticed, which kind of makes it a bit of a a cop out. <laughs> us being all like farewell Soderbergh, <laughs> because I think he was, he's going to kind of keep his, you know. I think he's got a good his, thing with um, HBO since the Liberace thing. So, yeah, I think TV is a good arena for him. Yeah. All right, Lloyd, bring us home with your last one. (laughs) This is so embarrassing. My number one guilty pleasure film is Legionnaire starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. (laughs) That is embarrassing. I don't know what's wrong with people. This movie is amazing. You're all wrong. It's about a boxer who joins the French Foreign Legion and they end up having to try out and hold out against this attacking um, uh, army. I can't remember where it's at. I think it's Morocco. And so the Moroccans are attacking them. I, I can't remember, but it's it's a pretty much a ripoff of Zulu. If anyone's seen Zulu, one of the best British action movies of all time. And it's I guess the subgenre in the action movie is like a holdout movie because Aliens was like a holdout movie. These Marines holding out against wave after wave of aliens, but um, Zulu was like that. This small colonial Marine group holding out against all these. Um, uh, tribal Africans uh, called the Zulu attacking them and it's just wave after wave of them attacking and uh, Legionnaire is kind of like that but um, I, I don't know I think what's remarkable uh, remarkable about this movie is Jean-Claude Van Damme isn't an overpowered martial artist and I don't think he is in any of his movies like we barely see him fight and the brief fight scenes where he does fight is a real struggle like even the boxing match at the start he's really struggling and he overcomes that he fights a big guy in his military group and he doesn't even fight him he just ends up jumping up and trying to choke him out Um, a lot of it is melodramatic but this movie had me from the beginning I particularly like the bad guys um who were sent into the group to to kill him like the gangsters sent um these two guys to infiltrate the army and and find van damme and kill him but they end up befriending van damme to fight off their common enemy they end up um, helping each other and it's really good it gets a bit hokey at the end because van damme's like the only guy that survives and the moroccans let him live but uh, i thought it was really really good it's just a really great action movie they utilize their budget really well um and i love it and everyone i know hates it they go this movie's garbage i'm like what are you insane <laughs> my might uh warrant a rewatch for me because i've only seen it once and it was some time ago i've seen it like 10 times <laughs> at least like, yeah on. i know I, oh I, I think it's fantastic 
That's interesting because um, it's funny, bad guys seem to feature a lot. You remember the bad guys in these films. Ocean's Eleven had Andy Garcia, who played Terry Benedict's fantastic villain. Uh, Back to the Future's Biff, um, you know, Dragon the Bruce Lee story. You mentioned that fight scene for revenge, but there's also the guy who crippled him. Uh, Con Air, John Malkovich is fantastic. It's it's a film full of bad guys. This maybe kind of, you know, features in um, our thinking yeah, as definitely. well. You want to see well, good John Carpenter said a film's only as good as its um, villain, <laughs> and it's so true. If you don't have a good antagonist, the film's got to really struggle. <laughs> um, I just wanted to talk about something we talked about last week before we finish. Um, we had X-Men Days of Future Past. We were talking briefly about our childhood uh, and things to be taken from our childhood. And um, I mentioned a film that could be made that was a joke but i'm now discovering it is actually being it's made it's not hungry hippo is it it's banana man Bana- <laughs> which we were joking was- we were joking <laughs> well i didn't realize it was already in production not that oh, there's okay. a director or cast attached but they've released a teaser poster that i've seen shared on facebook and it's a banana peel that's basically sitting on the planet earth um so this you know this could be very hokey or whatever but geez uh, i guess we're gonna have to cover it in the podcast <laughs> if it actually gets to if they uh, make super ted as well we're gonna have to cover that yeah i think i mentioned super ted or banana man but that's yeah that's freaky wow <laughs> look uh listeners would be aware this is the 94th episode we're heading towards episode 100 and uh, we're looking for some suggestions of things to talk about in that episode. You can let us know on facebook.com slash podme if you can. And as well, uh, we're thinking of doing a DVD giveaway. If you guys want some free DVDs, the only way to get them is going to be by becoming a fan at facebook.com slash podme if you can and finding out the details when we post them. Something to look out for before the 100th episode comes out. So uh, guilty pleasure movies, Lloyd, obviously... It's uh, it's been eye opening. I'm sure oh, it's been a lot of fun. I loved. Com- I found this a really difficult list to come up with, and to define what guilty pleasures was, and trying to be really truthful and honest uh, was really hard as well. Like owning up to Legionnaire, oh, so brutal for me. <laughs> well, people can leave our, their feedback at Facebook, <laughs> and we we do try and take requests as well so if you think the ninth gate would make a good podcast let us know if you think that there's something else we've mentioned today you'd love to hear us talk more about or uh, a guilty pleasure movie for you um somebody did request showgirls back before we did the podcast for it so we do see them up there on facebook and we do try and um, make an effort to yeah talk about them on the show dave if i was um, to be if i was given a budget to make a movie and any script i wanted it would be um it would be legionnaire all over again it, she would remake i would remake just who would you, who would you cast oh, that's a good question i want to say van damme but he's too old now so i'd have to think about that <laughs> you get a professional wrestler yeah. <laughs> ufc oh, fighter dear. josh barnett <laughs> we'll see what happens all right well um thanks everybody for listening uh more pod me if you can stuff at www.podmeifyoucan.com. you